I'm here today with Luke Woodworth. He's a senior at Gilman, and he's about to graduate and head off to Stanford next year. Luke, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. You excited for next year, Stanford? I am, yeah. How many times have you been out there? Twice to California, once to the San Francisco, Palo Alto area. Nice. Um, I've been out there one time, and I stayed in... Well, I've been to San Francisco a couple times, but I've gotten down to Stanford once and walking around that campus. It reminded me of, like, Disney World or something. It's like this, I don't know, spread out, good to walk around, beautiful. It's pretty nice, yeah. When I was there, it was, like, 40 degrees in the morning, warmed up to 70 both days, so pretty perfect. And and what's what's the train? There's a train that goes throughout all those towns. Um, I don't know. (laughs) You'll probably take it when you're... Probably, yeah. You're there. But do people at Stanford, they usually, like, hang out in San Francisco? Do you know? Um, I think most people will go out and have dinner and stuff in Palo Alto. There's a lot of good restaurants around there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, see, I didn't, uh, I guess I was just. San Francisco is, like, a good 40-hour long drive. Yeah. 40 minutes, hour long drive away, so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, like. It's a commitment, so you yeah. probably stick around. Cool. Well, um, you've got range. We usually save the book rack to the end, but we've been talking a little bit about this book. Um, can you, just for people who have not read range, what's this all about, and when did you pick it up? Um, so, yeah, my dad recommended this book to me, and he's always picking up a different book and reading it from time to time. So he recommended this one to me as an athlete. Um and it kind of discusses, the, it says on the front page, why generalists triumph in a specialized world. Um, and I think the first chapter summarizes it pretty well, comparing Roger Federer, one of the greatest tennis players of all time, to Tiger Woods, one of the greatest golfer, if not the greatest golfer of all time. Mm-hmm. And their differing paths to success as Tiger, who started playing golf from a very young age, um, I believe, like, four years old he was already shooting like a 45 mm-hmm. nine holes um and roger federer who had parents who played tennis and were tennis instructors but played soccer um a bunch of other sports any sport with a ball he said and didn't specialize in tennis until he was like 12 or 13 years old um and kind of just comparing the different strategies to success yeah yeah, we were talking, we had Owen Daly on last week, and we were talking about how smooth Federer is as a tennis player. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's interesting to, to learn a little bit about his background in other sports and how that's, like, helped his game. Um, and then Tiger Woods, you know, you watch, I think there's a Tiger Woods documentary out there. I haven't seen it, but I know that Tiger Woods, from a very young age, was, you know, playing golf like golf all the time that's all he did um so yeah uh why did you choose this why why did this stand out to you as important and interesting um i think it's just really interesting to learn about human development and how people find success so that's kind of whatever is chasing success one way or another so this was a good way to kind of look into that also kind of forgot to mention but they use sports kind of as an analogy or David Epstein uses sports but compares a bunch of different examples to each other to kind of 
give this idea of having range um, a lot of credit for success. And you feel like you've, um, you're a generalist, you would describe yourself as? I'd say so. With sailing, which is going to be my sport in college, I didn't fully kind of commit myself to that until junior year. Oh, really? Yeah, I was playing um, varsity soccer sophomore year, JV lacrosse, varsity hockey. Kept playing hockey, but then in the fall and spring, I do sailing now. So what's your background with sailing? It's your main thing. Um, Have you been doing it your whole life? Yeah, so both of my parents sailed in college. They kind of introduced the sport to me and my sister, twin sister Reese, um, when we were like eight small club in the summers in New York where my grandparents live and we kind of just did it as a summer thing for a while Mm -hmm. and eventually kind of progressed to a national level sometimes going international Um, and I found I was pretty good at it but I didn't really let it interfere too much with my other sports and just kind of thought of it as another sport because I couldn't really pick which I liked the best. Um, and then during COVID, I got an invite to sail with my best friend who's also going to Stanford with me, Tommy Sitzman. Um, and he kind of asked me to just come sail with him on the weekends at first because we lived close to each other. Um, and that turned into a really great partnership and kind of got got me going. So I remember last year in... Um, I guess it was this time of year last year, or maybe a little bit earlier, spring break time. You told me, Mr. Scott, I'm going to miss a few days of class because I'm going to Oman for sailing. <laughs> yeah. Tell December, me about December. that experience. I mean, that I had to locate Oman on a map because I was <laughs> like, where exactly is that again? Luke's, you know, he's going pretty far away for this big championship event, right? Yeah, it was the Youth Worlds. Um, I think there were 64 countries there. So... A lot and met a lot of different people tons of different languages being spoken and that was pretty interesting um, definitely the longest travel experience I've ever had I think it was an 18-hour flight 23-hour layover then another four-hour flight um, layover in Dubai mm-hmm. cool airport lots hmm. of duty frees there's like eight levels of duty free hmm. bought some RC cars but and we tried to race them, but they were on the same frequency, so you were just controlling both cars with one remote, which is kind of a bummer. Did you go over here with the, the friend you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, okay. with, with Tommy, yep. Um, and a few other kids were on our same itinerary. We had two Hawaiian windsurfers hmm. and one British-American girl who was sailing a different type of boat. So what was it like in Oman? I mean, how much time did you get to like see the country. I know you were kind of siphoned off yeah. into the, the club that you were racing. Yeah, so it, it wasn't great in that sense because we were kind of just taxied to a Western-style resort. Mm-hmm. And because of COVID and stuff like that, we had to stay there for about a week and a half. Um, but they did do a good thing before the event started and brought in some, like, cultural... Um, basically like a fair. They had a camel to ride, Mm. some food, some different people um, showing like baskets that they made and traditional Omanese paraphernalia. Man, that's like, yeah, 
That's pretty wild. My, it, was, um, it was basically just a country of complete desert. Yeah. Yeah. And all of the plants and landscaping were kind of just um, by the water. Like once you got away, like a mile away from the um, Persian Gulf, there was nothing, just desert. Now, how about the competition over there? Like, was that pretty eye-opening in terms of, like, this is the, the highest level, I assume, this is the cha- world championships. Um, what was that like, just racing? Yeah, um, the competition was probably the toughest we'd had in that class of boat, which is a 420, 4.2 meters, I think it's like a little more than 15 feet, maybe a little less, a little less than 15 feet. Um, and there actually wasn't that many boats. There's only like 20, but everyone was th- that was there was from a different country, one boat per country. So they had to qualify to get there, so everyone was good. And it was super tight racing the entire time. Hmm. Yeah, um, I was with one of my, my college roommates this past weekend. He's up at business school in Philadelphia, and I was just hanging out with him this weekend. And he... In business school, it sounds like all they do is travel. You know, he's going to a different country like every couple of weeks. And he went to India for a couple of weeks. And he just was telling me about how, you know, incredible and different that was for him. Like, I don't know. I, I've i never been to India. I would be interested in going. But it seems like a country, and, and Oman seems like this too. Like, yeah. a lot of people aren't going to Oman. You know, it's yeah, like no. completely rare and unique experience definitely a unique experience and it made me think right away like the world seems a lot smaller once you've been halfway around or maybe it's a little more than halfway around Mm -hmm. it felt like wow i've been almost all the way around the world it felt a lot smaller even though the flights were so long yeah hmm well um so what's it going to be like i guess next year you're going into you know, sailing at Stanford, like what? A, what's the communication like from Stanford in terms of you're coming in as a freshman next year? What are they saying to you at this point? Um, at this point, we've just kind of been back and forth with the coach, probably on a weekly basis. He's asking about our summer plans, what we're, where we're planning on competing this summer, that type of stuff, and then trying to organize preseason training first day of classes is September 27th so it's super late yeah it's late um and potentially doing some east coast training because a ton of the kids on the team are from the east coast before going out there um but yeah there hasn't been a ton of communication I think after the season's over it will start to ramp up because he's pretty busy right now but Mm -hmm. yeah hmm what are your plans for the summer what are you thinking about doing um, I've got one event in Minnesota, with which is the Youth Match Racing World Championship, which is match racing as one-on-one boats um, with a current Stanford freshman, Tommy, who's going to Stanford with me, and then a younger girl, Samara, um, another friend from sailing. So we've got that in June. And then um, Team Race Championship, which is a different format, three-on-three boats and you got to get try to get the least number of points hmm. to win so there's different combinations that win for example like one first second anything wins um basically if the points that your boat score add up to i think it's 
10 or less, then you win. Hmm. So like if you finish second, third, and fifth, you'd win. Interesting. And it's, you're basically using the rules of sailing to kind of try to place your boats in front of the other boats and also be going fast. Wow. Yeah. Minnesota in the summer is going to be cool. I went there once. My yeah. Another one of my college roommates from there, and it's beautiful. A lot of... Never been. A lot of lakes. A lot of things to do it's, up it's there. It's on a lake, yeah. Yeah. Um, how about your internship? That's coming up. Yep. So I'm going with few other guys um i didn't know at the time that i signed up but owen davidoff hayden carpenter george hardy and henry hoskins to um shadow mr McAllister at access holdings it's a venture capitalist firm he's investing in a ton of different businesses he's a friend so i've talked to him a little bit about it one of the things is pet crematoriums um, <laughs> and another is these marinas that have these boat racks basically like triple level boat racks that store people's boats and you kind of have a lift that like takes the boat off and puts it into the water hmm. and that's in baltimore yeah it's in baltimore nice downtown cool well you're getting to the end here of uh your time at gilman yep bittersweet or excited like what are, what are the feelings right now on april 23rd yeah definitely bittersweet i think someone counted the days left, I think it's like 12 yeah, school days. Yeah, I think days. my senior class has seven classes left. Mm -hmm. Some AP exams, and then kind of encounter, and that's it. Um, yeah, this year's definitely gone fast, but I'm trying not to get, like, too caught up in it. I, I saw some seniors last year get too, like, trying to, I don't know, live it out senior year a little bit too much. Like, mm -hmm. this is the last, whatever, first last, you know? But think it is what it is try to enjoy it and it's gonna end at some point so yeah that's kind of how I think about it yeah and have you gone to Gilman is are you a 12 year guy no. did you go I was Calvert, oh, you went and to Calvert. Then Gilman starting in high school yeah gotcha um what do you think about Gilman you're gonna miss the most like what do you think uh you like the most about this school as a you know high school experience um I'd say I think Gilman does a really good job allowing kids to do different activities. Um, like I came in never having done art before, and I'm leaving an artist, and that's that's one of my favorite things mm -hmm. about Gilman. Um, just providing those opportunities for people, like the musical that's going on now, I think is incredible. It's so fun to watch. Mm -hmm. Just different arts I guess maybe that Calvert didn't have um, yeah different sports being able to start the sailing team here was awesome for me I think that's gonna be kind of my legacy yeah so probably art and starting the sailing team I definitely want to talk to you about art and I didn't know that I didn't know you didn't do any artwork before coming here so no. we sewed pillows at Calvert that was the extent of our art. So no painting at Calvert? No painting. We we made some clay gingerbread houses. Joke about that with Mr. Connolly. <laughs> his kid, his son, Keenan, went there. I think um, his son's an artist, right? Yeah. And he's a biker. He's a hardcore biker. Yeah. Yeah. Intense. So when you came in as a freshman and you're in Mr. Connolly's, what, drawing and painting class? Yep. Um, what was that like for you? Like, how did you 
kind of decide you wanted to stay in that program for all four years and work with Mr. Connolly? Um, well, I think it started for me before I got here. I had my shadow day. Um, I was with Griffin Giese, I remember, and he had some test second period, so he handed me off to Cal, who's like my best childhood friend. We grew up on the same street, and he took me to art class. Mr. Connolly let me in the dark room, the photography lab, which no one was allowed to do, apparently. So there was a little special treatment there. And then I just sat in on class with them, tried to draw, was terrible at it, but I loved the atmosphere mm-hmm. and kind of the community in the art room. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm definitely doing this next year. It's the best. Yeah. He's got the best feel in there, you know, because everyone is quiet and focused. Yep. But there's, it's not like he's up there lecturing or telling you guys what to do it's you come in you know what you're doing yeah and he just kind of walks around and you know if you need him you need him but otherwise you're on your own he definitely achieves a very focused environment Mm -hmm. that's what i'd say yeah i'd love to be able to do that in my english classes with writing you know like i i think writing is such an important skill we just had the chat gpt assembly Mm -hmm. but but writing and actually putting in the time to write which i feel like students don't have outside of the school day, right? It's like you're busy. You've got right. different things going on after school. In class is a good time to sit down and focus and write. And I'd love to have that same atmosphere uh, yeah. that Connolly has. Yeah, it's pretty special. Definitely the first semester and basically freshman year was rough. I was way behind. Um, and also Mr. Connolly was out with a biking injury. So we had mm-hmm. the middle school teacher, Mr. Anderson, stepping in as a sub. But I figured it out. I think part of me loved the challenge of just learning these technical skills. I mean, I just had to make my hands steadier at first. He made us draw like straight lines or squares or perfect triangles, Mm -hmm. just simple things like that. I couldn't get over the fact that it was hard to do, so I just really wanted to get good at that. Mm -hmm. So the challenge was definitely fun. And you start out with uh, still lifes, right? I mean, he puts the bike in the vase and yeah all the usually in the front. starts out with stuff even simpler than that like a paper towel roll or a cup or right. something and kind of shines a light on it from one side talks about all the terminology of the shadows and the light on the figure or the object um and then he works into still lifes with multiple objects and you're a landscape artist right that's kind of how you so, would yeah. identify yep and you've painted you know anything from mountains to boats to different trips you've been on yeah um how did you kind of find that domain in the world of art as something that you wanted to continue to reproduce landscape paintings yeah so i kind of talked about it in my thesis i'm not sure if you read it on my board Um, i need to read that but i started last year just kind of we had to do an ap art piece or art proposal with 20 pieces um, over the course of the year and the theme for last year was moments that made me feel alive kind of just images or times that I remembered um, feeling that kind of sense of joy and feeling alive and those all happened to be a lot of times in nature and then this year I sort of I kind of pivoted a little bit and painted more figures in moments like that, um, when I kind of just discussed in my thesis how 
I like painting um, images that kind of bring me joy through the process of painting them mm-hmm. and through looking at them when they're done and it doesn't really need to be more than that for me. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times that's like a really pretty landscape or someone that's meaningful in my life doing something that I enjoy looking at. So that's kind of where the style came from. I love the one that you've done recently of the mountain and the skier coming down. Yep. And that one's in Paragon. Yep. And where is that mountain? Is that? That's in Alaska. It's in Alaska? Yeah. So you've I, been to Alaska? No, no. I took that out of a ski movie and painted it. <laughs> yeah. What's the difference um, between painting from a photograph versus painting from real life? Because I know Mr. Connolly has you guys paint from like real life a lot, but I still see a lot of guys like yourself painting from mm-hmm. different pictures that you've taken or Instagram posts that you think are cool. Yeah. Um, and I always liked, you know, draw, I do character drawings and different types of drawings, and I always found it fine just to look at a photo and draw, but there is a difference, I would, I would guess. Yeah, so until junior year, he doesn't let you even pick up a photo to paint from. It's all direct from life. And what I've realized, what's kind of um, just helped me get better in art is Mr. Connolly telling me to paint what I see and realizing that painting is really about how you're looking at your subject and what you're painting, not just about like your technical skill. Mm -hmm. Because every artist's work is a product of their vision of what they're painting. Like an abstract artist, they're coming up with a completely different vision of a scene or something in their mind than a realist would be of the mm-hmm. same subject. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, he kind of taught us that by starting from painting from life and kind of developing that vision. And then once he saw that we had skills that were he thought were adequate, he let us use photographs and things so we could paint what we wanted to, make work that we wanted to see. Do you have some artists that you like to study? Because I, that's another thing that, you know, you saw me in there a few months ago and Mr. Connolly was helping me identify a couple artists that I need to try to mimic or at least study the way that they've painted and, you know, made use of a similar image that I was looking at. Yeah, so the first one that I've always looked at is Edward Hopper. I know we looked at some paintings in English class. His paintings are just so technically sound. Um, then got Ben Aronson, who's a really good kind of cityscape, landscape artist. Um, and then I'll take Charlie Fenwick's artist, but me and him both enjoy really looking at his work. Kim Kogan, who's a California artist, and he's incredibly good at suggesting with color mm-hmm. and kind of bigger brushstrokes, but still making paintings look super realistic. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, Hopper uh, just had a recent exhibit in New York. I don't know if you were able to check that out, but it was super cool. Are you? Uh, do you like going to art museums? I do. Yeah, Baltimore Museum of Art. Yep, I've been. Yeah, DC. It's a good thing to do on the weekends. I haven't been to DC recently. I have been before, but not recently. I'd like to get to more art museums for sure. Sure, you've got some out in California. I went to the Stanford Art Museum when I toured. And I was with Tommy, and he was like, what are we doing? Like, let's go see something. I was just walking around, like, taking five minutes for painting. He was really frustrated <laughs> with me. So, yeah. Is he um, is he from this area, Tommy? Yeah, he goes to Severn. Lives okay. in Severn Park. Nice. Yep. 
Cool. Well, um, yeah, that sounds good. Um, so what's the rest of the school year looking like for you here? I mean, you've um, got, you've, you're almost done. Yeah, just two AP exams and then encounter and then it's kind of wrapping it up. Yeah. What are the AP classes you're taking? Biology with Mr. Fitzgibbon and BC Calculus with Mr. Jacobs. Mm. Yep. Do you know what you um, might want to study in college? Or are you going to continue it's with what art? everyone asks me. I, I do want to continue with art. I've got like half of me that maybe wants to go pre-med, be a doctor. My dad's a doctor. Um, another half that loves history and I'm interested in economics, maybe doing business, but I'm not really sure. Everyone I've talked to at Stanford has said, don't declare a major or choose a major until you absolutely know because you've got until after sophomore year and they've all changed their minds. Stanford's schedule is a little bit different than other colleges, right? You yeah. start really late, you have a little bit more time to choose. Three quarters, or four quarters, there's a summer quarter, but it's basically a trimester system. Mm -hmm. You start later and later, yep, you've got time to choose your major. It's a little bit different. So will sailing season start when you get there in the fall? Yes, it runs fall and spring, but it'll start early in September. Most schools go back and mid-August and start sailing then, so we'll actually be a little bit behind, but they managed to make it work. What are some of the other sailing programs in Stanford's league? Like, who will you race against? Um, all the UC schools have teams. UC Barbara, Santa Barbara is probably the second best team right now. Hawaii's in the league. Um, yeah, UCLA, bunch of California schools on the West Coast, but they do a lot of traveling the East Coast. The coach has already said that I'll probably be traveling three weekends in the fall in October and September. Hmm. So there's a lot of flying involved. They've all mentioned that it's a big skill to be able to sit down on the plane and just crank out work. You're, right. you're gone for Friday and then Saturday, Sunday, getting back late Sunday night. So yeah, yeah. a lot of travel. Yep. You're used to, you went to Oman. You, yep, sailing's helped with that. Outside of school, sailing's helped with kind of forming some discipline during travel. You miss a lot of school. Yeah. yeah. So outside of your trip to Oman, have you gone to other places of the world for sailing before? Yep. Um, Italy, the Netherlands, we've been all over the U.S., Canada. So it's taken me all over the place. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Hmm. All right, well, I'm jealous that, uh, that you're going to be in California. Yes. Yeah. It's pretty fun. nice. Yeah, hopefully I can get some skiing in in the winter. Oh, yeah, you're a big skier. Off season. Did yeah. you grow up skiing? Yeah, it's like a week a year. Grandparents would take us out to Wyoming and we'd ski. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a fun hobby. So you've got some skiing landscapes. You've got yeah. some water landscapes. I mean, no wonder you like that form of art. Yeah. Know? You're outdoors a lot, it it's seems fun like. fun for me to paint, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm more of a, you know, I like Anae's style of the, f the faces. Yeah, um, I'm just not that good. <laughs> it's hard, right? Yeah. Because I've always been interested in the caricature art, you know. Yeah, I and wish I could paint people that way. The problem is you have to be so accurate, it just doesn't look like, you doesn't have the likeness. Could offend someone. Yeah. So I was trying to explain his style of the um, 
the flux mm. of I, yeah. I don't even know how to put that into words. You know, like I what think it's that like is. a long exposure, like similar to that on a camera. You know, yeah, it's kind of like different faces in the same image. What's do you know how he does that? Yeah, he he takes like a long exposure, photoshops the faces, and then paints from an image. The it's one he did impressive. of Elise is impressive. Very impressive. Looks exactly like her. Yeah. yeah. He did one of himself. I titled that one for him, Interpolation. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you all done in art? Is this it? Or do you have um, a portfolio due at the end of the year? We don't have a portfolio. I've got a piece that I'm working on right now. Alex Honnold. You've seen Free Solo? I have. Yeah. That guy is intense. Going up El Cap. Um... It's a pretty big piece, and then we've got to do our six by six legacy portrait that hangs up in the back studio. Oh. Um, so yeah, I've got to do a portrait, which will be interesting. Yeah, and A was telling me that he has a setup at his house, like an art studio. Mm-hmm. Do you have something similar? I do. Yeah, I bought an easel junior year um, in my basement. It's the only place my parents will let it happen because it's pretty smelly. There's a lot of fumes, um, and it can be messy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in my basement. And you do most of your work there, I assume. Yeah, although this year we've had less, so and I'm, I've had more free time, so I've been able to do a lot more at school. I haven't painted at home in a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Luke. Well, uh, that sounds good. So we covered the art, covered Stanford, covered range a little bit. I'm I meant to get this from the library um, to read a little bit more of it because I. I I think I read the first chapter before, but I'm curious what the other examples he gives in here yeah, outside so of sports are. He talks a lot about chess um, and the Polgar sisters who were basically an experiment by their dad to become geniuses or savants in a field. So he had them training with chess at a very young age, and they went on to be international masters and top ten in the world. Um, and basically what Epstein argues is that chess and golf aren't representative of most activities Mm -hmm. that people do, where in golf you can just swing a club the same way, um, a bunch of times you're going to be successful. In chess you learn all the combinations of moves, you recognize patterns, um, you're going to be successful. Um, that's not necessarily representative of problem solving or even other sports where you've got to combine a, def- a bunch of different motions like running around um, like lacrosse for example kind of cutting with your feet and shooting passing mm-hmm. different stuff like that so yeah I was reading an article today in the New York Times about chess and uh, and why it's become so popular with teenagers and college students recently, partly because of chess.com, but also, I, I guess, because of Queen's Gambit, but that came out a couple of years ago. I'm not sure why. This year, I just started noticing at Gilman, like, everybody's playing chess. Yeah. And it's always, it's it's kind of fascinating to me, because chess is such an old game, and it's not fast-paced, you know, it's a thinker's game, really. Right. Um, you walk through the common rooms and everyone's playing chess. Yeah. Are you a chess guy? I, I dabble in it occasionally. I've got chess.com installed on my phone. But, yeah. it's, but it's not a... I just think it's interesting. It's, it's probably a weekly occurrence. 
Yeah. Wouldn't put it on the daily level. You're not a video game guy. I'm not, no. No, during COVID, we'd, we'd play Xbox with my friends, but other than that, I've never been a video game guy, no. Yeah. Me neither. Um, so, cool. Range. I'm going to have to read it. Um, yeah, so we've got everything covered, I think. Yeah. Um, oh, we do. We have to talk about AI, though. Because after our conversation last week, um, we were talking about how AI could potentially be a friend for someone. Oh. I've got Snapchat on my phone. It's right. probably the way most people communicate my age. And they just released my AI for each person. So you have a little AI chatbot that's specific to you that c- tries to communicate with you. So yeah. You, so you this happened say, after our conversation. Yes. Like the day after. Yeah. I walked into class and everyone had artificial intelligence right. on Snapchat. Yeah. Okay. So what are your thoughts on it? It's it's scary. I mean, it's always trying to ask you more about yourself, and I'm wondering like, where is this information going to go? Is this going to be incriminating somehow in the future? Um, but it also seems like there's somewhat of a bias in the chatbot. Like people have been putting in various commands, trying to mess with it. And it's definitely trying to be like super politically correct. Um, and yeah, that's what I'd say. I was asking someone else about whether artificial intelligence can be somebody's friend, like a good friend that you come home and talk to. And he made a good point that people have shrinks and they have therapists and they have people in their lives that they go and talk to just to get things off of their chest and connect with somebody. And that doesn't mean they don't have other friends in their life and other people in their life, but that's healthy, right? It's healthy for you to go and talk to somebody. So why wouldn't an artificial intelligence that knows things and collects information about you and can give you valuable feedback be a positive yeah I think it could be I mean I just don't know how comfortable I'd be sharing information with some someone that's not real you know but I think for some people yeah that's definitely a possibility and I think we're only seeing like the very beginning the tip of the iceberg I think so I think so because now it's all typing right and I feel like you know, you've got Amazon Alexa, you've got Echo, you've got speaker systems. Right. Um, graphics and visuals are getting so much better. I think you're going to be able to go home, turn on your TV, a little look-alike person will pop up with mannerisms and movements that you'll just talk to. Yeah, I think people will have, like, full personal assistance that can, that can basically do most everything at basic level, like, service job could do mm-hmm. but just in the form of an AI robot or something yeah and it goes back to what Mr. Hastings said about trying to be creative and um, think critically and be able to solve problems like those skills are always going to be valuable I think but some of the other things are just going to be so much easier and more quickly done by AI, like computer coding, for instance. I know people have put in prompts to like code a website and ChatGPT can do it in seconds. That takes like a Google um, employee who's paid $60,000 a year to do over the course of months. 
Right. So that that type of stuff, I think, is gonna kind of transition over pretty quickly. But yeah, I can't say there's anything in that presentation with Mr. Hastings that I disagree with. I love the whole thing. I think Neither. he's spot on. But I do wonder, like, in ten years, will seniors in high school, juniors in high school, be writing? papers for history or like like what would that look like right I think he did a good job talking about how um, the AI or the chatbot wasn't able to actually read a text and deduce meaning from it and kind of connect themes to a quote Um, but I was also wondering like is that just a temporary thing or is it going to be able to actually have that capability in the future Right. ChatGPT4 is like what they've yeah. released to the public, but how about ChatGPT8 that <laughs> yeah. has read all of these books? And Yeah, I know. I, I don't know what it's going to look like for any kind of papers or online assignments. I feel like the better that ChatGPT gets, it's going to just be like harder for people to do their own work. Something that I've been doing with my senior elective great short fiction and some of my junior classes is in tandem with what you submit for your writing, I'm also requiring, in some cases, a presentation because that way, like, you have to stand in front of the room and deliver and and talk to people and get people to, you know, buy into what you're actually writing about. And if you don't know, then you didn't actually do the paper you didn't study it hard enough yeah I think what was going through my mind during that presentation was a lot of interpersonal jobs are just going to be maintained like journalism or um, reporters media I think like AI is not going to take that over I don't think Um, and something like giving a presentation is pretty hard to fake because you've got to have gathered the information and be able to recite it in a way that makes sense Hmm. so I think that's pretty good representation of how you know those skills will have to stay intact yeah and I thought Mr. Hastings did a really good job modeling like what a good presentation is like he made us laugh at the beginning he gave us all the pros of ChatGPT and told us it's interesting because who's going to listen to someone who comes up there and says you guys aren't allowed to use ChatGPT that's cheating right Right? I'm I'm going to use it of course (laughs) but if you tell me it's cool it's interesting I like it, I use it myself, but here's what's wrong with it, and here's what you're missing out on if you get through high school just by using ChatGPT. Now I understand what you're saying, and I'm bought in. Right, he had me completely convinced. And there's a lot of people I've come across, classmates, who have kind of the attitude that I'm smart, I can turn my mind on when I want to, but I don't think that could be further from the truth. I think the whole purpose of working hard and trying hard in school is to train yourself to kind of have those habits Mm -hmm. and those intentions. Um, So when you do get to something challenging, you can fall back on that. Mm -hmm. And that just kind of becomes your work ethic. Right, right. Now, do you see in high school, is it pretty widespread? Like are students using ChatGPT all the time? I'd say so, yeah. I'd say a lot of people are using ChatGPT on a pretty regular basis. I had someone point out to me that it could be helpful today for like asking for sources for a research paper, for instance. Mm-hmm. And that seems pretty true because it's not that different from Googling that, but maybe it gives you a better response. But 
yeah, I think it's sketchy when people are like literally copy and pasting responses that it's generated into their papers. And that's happened here, so. Yeah, well, what I would say to that, and I think Mr. Hastings touched on this, but like I know how my students write. And ChatGPT, it will give you, if you say write a five paragraph essay on The Great Gatsby, for instance, okay, copy and paste that, you turn it into Mr. Scott's class. First of all, every paragraph is like four to five sentences, bam, easy easy spot but also there's no grammatical mistakes and not one of my 55 students i don't even know if i could write a paper for you right now without one grammatical mistake but also the sentence fluency is off like if you read it out loud you'd be like that does not sound like how someone would talk Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. i've tried to generate different responses and i it still seems like it's not good writing to me Mm -hmm. also i think for teachers like you said, they know how kids write, and if they had the slightest feeling that someone was cheating, they could just pull you into their office um, and be like, tell me about your paper, you know, mm-hmm. paragraph by paragraph. And if you can't do that, then it's pretty obvious. That's why I think the presentation slash interview component to writing is not only important, but just makes you stand by what you've written a little bit For more, sure. and that's useful. For sure. Like I, um, like I've had a, a, some multiple, I've had multiple ChatGPT cases this year and mm-hmm. not too many recently because I think I did a similar presentation with my classes and I think it was convincing, hopefully, to them. But I did read a paper this past weekend from a student and the tell was that she had hyphenated something and I was like, this is this student's not the type of person to hyphenate well-being. Like, that wouldn't be in her writing, right. you know, on a typical <laughs> basis. And the tells are so subtle that only your English teacher, people who have read your writing a lot, can notice them. Right. I know. It could be interesting on, like, college applications and various applications where the readers don't know the applicant. Mm-hmm. That, could, that could get interesting, for sure. Um, but I think, yeah, like you said, interviewing, um, presentation, discussions, those things aren't going to be changed too much by ChatGPT. Like the discussions we had last year in English class were completely generated from people's own minds because mm-hmm. no one knew what the question would be. We'd connect it back to a book, a novel. I think that's good. So let me ask you, because uh, we're getting toward, towards the end here, um, one of those questions that I asked last year was something that you've told me you thought a lot about. How do you know when you've made it? I right. think it's an interesting question. Yep. What have you thought about for yourself? You know, you're headed to Stanford next year. You're kind of on the precipice of, you know, the rest of your life, I guess, when you're graduating high school. What is success going to be for you? Like, what what have you found out about yourself that you need in your life to be a successful person? Yeah, so that question's been awesome for me. Like I told you, it's given me some good conversations at at family dinners and various events. Um, Christmas dinner this year, celebrated with my entire extended family in Austria, which is incredible. That was a topic of discussion for like three and a half hours. And got some emotional responses from my grandparents, my parents. Um, And it made me think about it a lot. And I think for me, it will be having a family and giving my children 
the opportunities that I had are better, giving them a platform to succeed mm-hmm. um, and kind of have what I've had or even have it better off than I have. And that's not just material things like going to school at good places and being on great sports teams, but really good parenting examples. My dad's been amazing, um, teaching me about humility, leaving things better than you found them, um, leadership by service, stuff like that, Mm -hmm. kind of passing that on to the next generation. I think that's when I'll know that I've made it. That's pretty awesome. I think uh, I think it's a successful question, or you know, that's success yeah. to me in some ways. When one of my students is having a three-hour conversation yeah, about sure. a daily entry question, for sure. So that's pretty cool. Well, Luke um, Chesre, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Um, if you'd like to read Range, Luke's book recommendation, it's right here. It's in the library. They're getting rid of a ton of books in the library, which is very sad, but hopefully you could pick up Range before yep. it's gone. It's a great read. Um, and Luke, thank you very much for coming in today. It was Thanks a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. It was fun.